The New Testament writer says that we are the fortunate ones because we are the ones to whom the mystery has been revealed. And that all the people before, from the beginning of time up until Jesus Christ, had only glimpses, part of the big picture. But as we've been going through the study of the covenants, God's dealings with man from Adam to, to Noah and Abraham, we've been starting to see the picture unfold. And that picture is of Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. Because that is the pinnacle of God's plan of salvation for us. That is how God undoes what we did in the Garden of Eden by rejecting his authority. And so in the Edenic Covenant, we saw that sin was abhorrent to God and that there would be a consequence for humanity and that consequence, the greatest of which, I guess, was death. And in the Adamic Covenant, we've seen that it was from the seed of the woman or the offspring of a woman that salvation would come. And that in the Noahic Covenant, we've seen that this would not be accomplished through the efforts of man, but it would be accomplished through God's grace, the salvation of man. And we also saw in the Abrahamic covenant, we saw that it would be a descendant of Abraham who would be a blessing to the entire world. And so we start to see this idea of how God plans to undo what was done in the garden and restore humanity to the garden. This is really a Cole's Notes of the Old Testament that we're doing. By using the covenants as the thread that we follow God's plan of redemption. <laughs> But as we saw, God said, that, said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, and all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. He finally did have that miraculous son, him and Sarah. His name was Isaac. And he was the improbable child, born to very elderly parents. But God continued that promise that he made to Abraham. And he said this to Isaac in Genesis 26. To you and to your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And then again, as Isaac had children, the promise was continued to Abraham's grandchildren. Specifically to Jacob, whose other name is Israel. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants, and your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, 
and by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. We have to keep in mind this overarching theme when we look at these covenants as we go through them, that God's promises to humanity through these individuals is not based on merit. And Jacob is the best example I could come up with of a really unworthy guy who did not deserve the blessings of God and did not deserve the inheritance. He's not a guy that I would like. Nor you, probably, if you knew him. He was a schemer. He was a liar. And he was a thief. But God, after breaking him of all that, and literally leaving him with a limp, after a battle through the night, continued the promises that he made through Abraham and Isaac. He gave them to Jacob as well. And so please keep in mind that we look at these covenants made to these, these patriarchs of the faith, but it's not based on their merit. It's based on God's grace. God will fulfill his purposes. He will bring about salvation. As a matter of fact, if, if our salvation was based on the merits of Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, we wouldn't be sitting in a Christian church, folks. Because there would be no salvation. Because they did not deserve what they got. That's what grace is. <clears throat> they didn't deserve it. Jacob's just one of the most unsavory guys that I can think of as an example of grace. If you ever doubt how God has this plan and he's going to work it out, just look at what God said to Abraham one night as he was in a dream. Genesis 15 says this, As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has yet to reach its full measure. So Abraham was given this incredible supernatural experience of being told the future of his descendants. He was told about Israel being held captive and serving as slaves in Egypt. Long before they even entered Egypt. Long before they were a people. And so that brings us to the next covenant. After the 400 years of slavery, 
God interjects into history again. And we're going to take a look at the Mosaic Covenant. Part one. The calling of a deliverer. Before we read this covenant or the beginning of the covenant, because it's going to take us a few days to get through it all, I want to just catch us up to speed on, on Moses. Moses was one of those slaves. He wouldn't know about it because he was an infant. When we first catch up with him. And he's saved from a genocide that was being exercised by the Egyptians on male babies. In other words, all Pharaoh decided that Israel was getting so large, this family of Abraham, go figure, was growing into a great people. And he started getting nervous that even though they were slaves, they might get so great that they actually could turn. And so he decided to have all the babies killed that were male. And of course, Abraham's family put him in that little basket and sent him afloat. And it was Pharaoh's daughter who ended up raising Moses as an Egyptian. And where we find Moses at this time is a result of the fact that he, like many people who are adopted, really felt an affiliation with his birth family. And so, even though he was raised as a prince of Egypt, he had a heart for the Israelites. And he witnessed the murder at the hands of a slave master, one of the Israelites, and Moses killed that slave driver. When word got out, he had to flee. And so we have Moses in exile. This confused guy, I'm sure. Raised an Egyptian, killed an Egyptian because of his heart for Israel. And this is where we are when we come to the account in Exodus, Exodus 3, which I'm going to read. Now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Right now he's out in the Sinai Peninsula. And he, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. But Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. All this, Moses hid his face. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them 
up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, which is Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's my name. <laughs> this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And so we have the calling of a deliverer. Moses is called to go to Egypt to deliver the people who are slaves to Egypt, the Israelites. He's to deliver them out and to take them into this land, this land, surprisingly not, the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, we've said that all of God's covenants paint a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we need to start looking at the Mosaic Covenant by looking at this concept of deliverance. That salvation will come through deliverance. Salvation will come through a deliverer. And so I want to propose to you this morning that Moses is an evolutionary prototype of Jesus Christ. Now that sounds fancy, doesn't it? Moses is an evolutionary prototype of Jesus Christ. So what's an evolutionary prototype? Evolutionary prototyping involves building a basic but robust prototype in a manner which can further be improved and built upon to form an actual saleable product. This avoids wastage of resources. So if you're going to build a condominium, um, you would probably go to an architect, and that architect would often render a miniature. That is a prototype, even though it's totally not a functional prototype, unless everybody shrinks. It's a prototype. An evolutionary prototype is the construction of something that is sort of like the first generation or the first draft, if you will. I don't know if you know this, but the United States and a few other nations are in the process of building robotic soldiers. They're going to get humans off the war fields, and they're going to put robots in their places to fight the battles. 
So this is an example of one here. But that's just a prototype. It is not what they're going to put on the field to fight. But it's the first step in the right direction. It needs to be enhanced. It needs to be modified in order for it to be effective. In that same way, Moses is an evolutionary prototype of Jesus Christ. His mission, delivering Israel, is a precursor to the greater mission of Jesus Christ. Delivering humanity from the bondage of sin and death and Satan. Moses, like that prototype, could never save the world from sin, death, or Satan. Moses couldn't do it. We now know why. Moses couldn't be crucified. But Moses has a lot in common with Jesus Christ because he was called by God for a purpose of deliverance. And so therefore Moses is a prototype of Jesus. He served as a sentinel, a precursor, if you would, of the one who would come. And I don't know if you know this, but he was told as much. God actually told Moses that there would be one that would come after him, like him, who would be a deliverer. We read this in Deuteronomy 18. What we've got here is Moses saying goodbye to Israel. He doesn't get to go into the land of promise. He made a few boo-boos along the way. And he was disqualified. And so he gives a speech to the people of Israel. Can you just imagine this guy who has brought these people from Israel, out of Egypt and has been their father for 40 years. And, and, and he's sending them into this new land of promise. Can you just imagine? I mean, if, he was, if he's a dad like me, he'd be like, oh, they'll never be able to do it without me. But just imagine, you know, letting, letting them go. And look what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Do you know that that scripture was quoted by John the Baptist, Peter, Jesus' good friend, and Stephen, who was the first martyr, and who do you think they were referring to? Jesus Christ. They said, Moses said this to Israel, that there would be a prophet like me from among Israel. So they would say, and they said publicly to those who were trying to figure out who they were. For instance, John the Baptist. They're trying to figure this nut out. I mean, he goes around, he dresses weird, he eats weird. He's like living out in the desert by himself. They're trying to figure out who he is. They knew he was powerful. People, they knew his message was from God. But they're like, who are you? And they said, are you Elijah? Because they figured Elijah's coming back. They said, no, I'm not Elijah. Do you know what the next question was? 
Are you the prophet that we're supposed to be waiting for? He said, no, I'm not the prophet, but I'm the one who's come to precede the prophet, to make way for the prophet. You see, you're used to the word Messiah. This is where it starts. Moses, there will be a prophet like me. Evolutionary prototype, me. <coughs> but the real deal, who's going to do something greater than deliver Egypt, or Israel from Egypt. His mission is has worldwide consequences. It's far more powerful, far more impactful, far more profound. So John the Baptist said, I'm not the prophet, but I'm making way for the prophet. Peter, after Pentecost, is given sermons. And he's giving sermons to Jews and he's saying, wake up. This is the prophet we've been waiting for. Stephen, same thing. Before you kill me. Jesus is the prophet. He's the one. He brings deliverance. Not geographic deliverance. Not physical deliverance. But he brings spiritual deliverance. He delivers us from slavery to sin, death, and Satan. It's interesting now with 2020 to look back at how similar Jesus and Moses actually were. This is just thrown in as an extra. Just because it's curious, really. Both escaped a baby genocide, didn't they? Right? Jesus had to get out of town because he was going to be killed by King Herod when he was an infant. So was Moses. He had to escape somehow. Both were shepherds. I know Jesus was a carpenter, but he was known as a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd in Midian. Both were prophets that they spoke the word of God and lawgivers. And we're going to get into this next week and the following week. How Moses brought a law to the people of Israel. And Jesus brought a law, didn't he? What was Jesus' great law? The law of love. And all of the implications thereof. Both were affirmed by miracles. <laughs> Moses as we'll talk about next week, mediated the Old Covenant, and Jesus mediated a New Covenant. So this parallel is not by happenstance. This is not, oh, that's a fluky thing, isn't it? It's an urban legend. It's not an urban legend. This is the providential hand of God saying to the people who he is raising up to be a great nation from whom all the people on earth will be blessed. He's saying to them, there is one coming who is going to be a deliverer, just like I have been to you. Both Jesus and Moses were deliverers. I love the words that Moses declares to Pharaoh, let my people go. 
And then you look at the words of Jesus as he went to his hometown. And they asked him, what are you up to? And he said, he has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Moses was used of God to deliver Abraham's family from slavery in Egypt. Jesus was the person of the Trinity chosen to deliver humanity from the grip of sin. So what's the big idea? God's plan for Israel to include 400 years of slavery. Now there's a sermon there. I'm tempted, but I'm not going. Why would God choose his people to endure 400 years of slavery. My thoughts run amok. <laughs> God's plan for Israel to include 400 years of slavery that we would be ended by the introduction of a miraculous deliverer, that's Moses, is not a coincidence, but a providence that provides clarity to a greater deliverance by a greater deliverer. And thus we have another stroke in the masterpiece of Jesus on the cross. More evidence given that this would be a deliverer who would bring deliverance that would have an effect for the whole world. And so we start to see increasingly see Jesus on the cross, our great deliverer. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word, which is a record of something that is beyond our comprehension, that you could even conceive of a plan that would be so effective so liberating. Not just conceive, but actually bring it about. And that you yourself would be part of that plan, that you would actually take on humanity. You become God in the flesh. You're God. Because <laughs> we can't even, we would not be able to imagine a plan like this. But we thank you for how you have opened up this plan for us over time as we have seen through your interactions with humanity through these men and women of faith. Lord, help us to understand and appreciate how great is our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all.